0: So uh, this evening we're going to look at Joshua chapter one and um, uh, starting at verse ten through to the end of the chapter. And um, if you want a heading or a title, uh, I've entitled it "Faith Springing into Action." Now, last Sunday morning we looked at the first half of the opening chapter. Of the Book of Joshua, uh, we saw how God had been preparing Joshua over many years beforehand for the role that he now he now had to do. He was appointed to lead the children of Israel now that Moses was dead, but this wasn 't a sudden event; God had been equipping him for this task over many years beforehand, and the second thing we saw was that the entry of the children of Israel into the promised land, was just one more chapter in the great plan of God. This chapter in their history was going to be different, but it was still part of the Lord's grand scheme to fulfil the promise that he'd made to Abraham centuries before. And then the third thing we learnt was that God had promised help for the children of Israel as they entered the land of Canaan, We saw that uh, when we read the book of Joshua, Canaan is not so much a picture of heaven, but a picture of the Christian life. There was going to be no rest in the years ahead for Joshua. They were going to be tough and hard, full of long marches, battles, temporary defeats and disappointments. But we saw that God had promised Joshua two things to encourage him. Firstly, Joshua had been given God's word. And with it a promise that if he continued to read it, to meditate on it and to follow it, he would have good success. Secondly, the Lord promised to be with him, not just in that instant alone, but wherever he went in his ongoing task. The Lord promised that he wouldn't be alone as he faced the challenges ahead. Now this evening, we're going to take a few minutes to consider the second half of this first chapter of Joshua, from verse 10 to the end. The first half consisted of a speech. It was the commission which God gave to Joshua. And what follows here are three speeches. And we'll look at each in turn and hopefully learn some lessons for ourselves. We'll look at them under three headings. Firstly, responsibility in the battle then unity in the battle, and thirdly, dedication in the battle. Responsibility in the battle, unity in the battle, and dedication in the battle. So firstly then, uh, responsibility in the battle. And for this we, we look at the first speech, which you see in verses 10 and 11. Joshua ordered the officers of the people go through the camp and tell the people, Get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. The speech then is made by Joshua to the officers of the people. There are references to these officers of the people in Numbers 11, where the Lord provided elders from the various tribes to share the burden that Moses was carrying in judging the people. And um, we don't know the precise identity of these individuals, but that's not entirely important, because what's more important is that the message is to be conveyed to all the people by them. Joshua's message, then, is not to them. It's a message to all the people. Now, we have a phrase in English, which is, to be born with a silver spoon in one's mouth. It means to be born into a wealthy family. Sometimes it's derogatory because it implies that someone doesn't have to work for their money. They just inherited it. Now, whatever the motive for someone using this phrase, it highlights the truth, doesn't it? Some people have their wealth through birthright, but others Perhaps the majority of us acquire what we have through our own hard work. Now when we come to the Bible we find similar concepts of inheritance and work. If you look at verse eleven, we're told uh the, the children of Israel were told to go in and take possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving you for your own. This is then an unambiguous statement of the basis on which the children of Israel will enter the land. The Lord your God is giving it to you. Similarly for us, we need to be in no doubt that if we are Christians, it is only because God has intervened in our lives and brought us to Christ. Our natural inclination is to have nothing to do with God, and it is only because God has intervened and given us salvation, that we have a hope of eternal life. We were reminded of this in our house group on Friday evening. Um, We're looking at 2 Timothy, second letter of Timothy, and in uh, in verse 9 of the first chapter, Paul tells Timothy that God saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Now whilst this is true, there is no suggestion here in Joshua's message that the people should be passive in the forthcoming campaign. Some years ago in some church circles there was a popular phrase, you just need to let go and let God But this isn't the message that we find here in Joshua, and indeed not the message of the Bible either. Joshua's message is full of imperatives, it's full of orders. It's full of instructions for the people to do things. They're told that they need to possess the land, not just receive the gift. There was work for them to do, if they were to possess it, there were going to be battles ahead. And one particular imperative is highlighted here. At the beginning of uh, verse 11, uh, they're told that they need to get ready before they find themselves in the heat of battle. In verse 11, they're told, get your provisions ready. Now back in the Cold War in the 1970s, we had what was called a three-minute warning. Tensions were so high between the superpowers and the risk of attack considered so imminent that the military had to be ready to fire our nuclear missiles within three minutes of being given the instruction. Well, this message isn't a three-minute warning to the children of Israel. It's a three-day warning. It's a message telling the people of Israel to get ready for the task that lies ahead of them. Their provisions may have been provided by God, but they still need to prepare them. They still need to get ready. And let's be clear too that this task of preparation was a serious matter for Joshua and three days to do it. These weren't microwavable meals from Marks and Spencers. They needed this time to get ready. They needed three whole days to complete their preparation. So, what can we learn from this? Well, in some one sense, there's nothing new here but good truths to be reminded of. We're reminded first that our salvation is indeed an act of amazing grace whereby God grants an undeserved gift of eternal life to his people and We didn't think for that gift either, did we? God reached out to him in our sin in our rebellion and in our wretchedness, and brought us to himself. In a very real sense, we were born spiritually with a silver spoon in our mouth. God has given us immeasurable riches in the gospel. Without us, so much as lifting a finger. But there's a second lesson for us, isn't there? Having been enlisted into the Lord's army, we're called to apply ourselves diligently to the task of serving our Lord. We have responsibilities in the Christian life. It isn't let go and let God. At its very simplest, we need to prepare the food which God provides to us if we're going to be ready for the battles that we'll have to face when following Jesus. He gives us the Bible. Do we read it and study it? He gives us the privileges of meeting as a church. Are we there, ready to worship and learn from his word? He gives us opportunities for Christian fellowship. Do we avail ourselves of these? All of these things take time, but if we do not commit the time, the warning is clear. We will not be prepared, and when we try to follow Christ, we will go hungry. When we face the challenges in our Christian life, we will find ourselves illiquid. The second thing we see here is unity in the battle in verses 12 through to 15. The second speech recorded here is from Joshua to the tribes who were going to settle on the eastern bank of the river Jordan. Back in Numbers 32, we read an account whereby the tribes of Reuben and Gad um, wanted to settle on the east bank of the river Jordan. We're told in Numbers 32 that the herdsmen they had lots of livestock, and they saw that the land on the east of the river was good grazing land. Moses' initial reaction was one of anger. He recalled the events of Kadesh Barnea. Uh, he recalled the spies had gone in to scout out the promised land, had come back with uh, a good report that it was a land of flowing with milk and honey but they also came back with uh, the news that the land was occupied uh, with uh, strong armies and giants and that as a consequence the children of Israel were discouraged, they lost faith, they wanted to return to Egypt. And uh, Moses was worried that if the uh, tribes of Reuben and Gad stopped and settled on the east bank of the river, The children of Israel will be similarly discouraged at this point and lose their faith in God and his provision. But eventually we read in Numbers 32 that an agreement was reached and it's recounted here in verse 14, here in Joshua chapter 1. The plan was that Reuben, Gad and Manasseh would settle on the east bank of the Jordan and the women, the children and the animals would remain there the fighting men would press on with the remainder of the tribes for the conquest of Canaan. Now at first sight that may seem a rather divisive move but there are a couple of important points to see in the passage here. The first is that we see that the two groups enjoy the same blessing from God even though they're going to settle in two separate places. You look at uh, verse 15. The eastern tribes are told to help the western tribes until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you. Similarly, just after that, in the same verse, Joshua says that they should help until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you. You see, although it's settled in two different places, there are parallels between these two groups. They've both been given a land by the Lord, and they have both, with God's help, taken possession of it, See, they have both a shared experience and a shared status before God. Doesn't this teach us something about our unity in Christ as various members of the church? No matter how varied our backgrounds and circumstances, we are equally valued in God's sight. Look at the Zoom square next to yours on the screen in front of you. If you're a Christian this evening, then God has bestowed the same blessing of salvation on you as he has on the Christian in the square next to yours. They were also lost in sin, and the Lord has chosen to give them rest. They were also without any hope of lo- in life, and God reached into their lives and saved them for himself. The Bible tells us that we are all sinners, And if we are looking to Christ, then we are all saved by God, bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the same status. We have the same experience, even though our backgrounds and circumstances may be very different. The second thing we can see from this passage is the manner in which the tribes helped each other. If you look at verse 14... All your fighting men ready for battle must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you. This instruction was to fulfill the agreement that I referred to earlier, the agreement that we read of in Numbers. But it actually goes further than that account in Numbers required of them. The counting numbers require that they should accompany the other tribes in their conquest of the land. But here, they are told to go on in front. And indeed, this is actually what happened. Because in Joshua 4 verse 12, we read how they passed over the Jordan. And indeed, it was Reuben, Gad and Manasseh who led the way. Those three tribes led the uh, the children of Israel into Canaan. They were the first to face any, any opposition. Doesn't that teaches something, not just about our unity in Christ, but our responsibilities to one another. We have a responsibility to help our brothers and sisters in Christ in their Christian walk. Not only that, but we are to put ourselves out to do this. The men of the Eastern tribes went out in front. They put themselves, as it were, in the line of fire. Again, look at the person in the box next to you on your screen. If they're a Christian, then they're precious in in God's sight. Are you willing to go the extra mile for their spiritual well-being? Are you willing, as it were, to take a bullet for them? So how do we apply this in our own lives? Uh, I'm sure there's lots, a host of ways in which we could do so in the life of the church. And you may remember the words of Paul in Galatians 6, 2, where he said, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What might that look like in your life? How will you protect your fellow Christian from an attack of the devil or for a temptation that might ensnare them? Will you commit time to them? Will you call those who are discouraged? Will you visit those who are lonely? Will you put yourself out to help those who have your needs? Will you show kindness to those who are hurting? You spend time in serious spiritual conversation with one another. You read the scripture and pray with one another. You share each other's joys and pains as you travel the Christian life. Well, the final speech we come to is in verses 16 to 18 and, uh, I The title here of Dedication in the Battle. The final speech recorded here is the response of the eastern tribes to Joshua. A response to the exaltation he's just given to them. Now, there are several aspects that we could look at, but there is just one phrase I would like to pick out briefly from these few sentences. Look at verse 16. Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And whatever you send, wherever you send us, we will go. And then later on in verse 18, they say, whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put to death. What we see here is their response to Joshua's challenge in the preceding verses. There is no question, they will follow his instruction. They will not question uh, anything that he says. Now the dedication to Joshua is admirable, but doesn't it sound a bit fanatical? If we apply this, if we're going to apply this to ourselves, we need to remember that Joshua is a type of Jesus. In the New Testament, in John chapter 6, we read of Jesus teaching his disciples. The truths that he told were hard, and they were difficult for many to accept. And in John chapter 6, verse 66, we read... From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Isn't this why the eastern tribes were so willing to hear Joshua? He was God's appointed servant. He alone would lead them to success. He alone would give them rest. What about you? Are you willing to say the same thing to Jesus? Are you willing to say with these eastern tribes, whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go? We will follow him, forsaking all others, because he has the words of eternal life. Can you say and will you say, Lord, to whom else shall we go? Let's pray together. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, our captain, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you, O uh, Lord, that your Son. Uh, showed his commitment to us uh, by his obedience unto death, even death upon the cross at Calvary. And thank you, Lord, that he uh, was accursed there for our sake, uh, that he um, sacrificed himself uh, to save his people for himself. We rejoice in that, Lord, and we have uh, great... Um, Peace and assurance that such a great price was paid to secure our salvation. Father, we ask that you'd help us to reflect upon that. We pray, Lord, that we would love you because you first loved us. And we pray that you would help us to love our brethren, our brothers and sisters in Christ, because they too were purchased at such a great price. So Father, help us to seize every opportunity to be obedient to your word and contribute to the well-being of your church. And we pray, Lord, that in doing so, we would bring glory and honour to your name. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.